Before we get started with the podcast today, I wanted to let all of our listeners in on a special inside scoop. We are launching our equipping cohort online today. Check it out at replicate.org slash cohort. Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to this episode of Making Disciples with Robbie Gallaty, a resource to equip and encourage leaders to make disciples who make disciple makers. I'm your host, Chris Swain, here with Robbie Gallaty, the pastor of Long Hollow Baptist Church, founder and president of Replicate Ministries. Today, we are going to be talking about some additional questions we have gotten from those within our Replicate network. We have thousands of people uh, out there who are connected with Replicate. We uh, we connected them with our blog. Uh, a lot of relationships through training over the years, blueprint, cohort, uh, just like-minded pastors and leaders who want to make disciples in the church. And so we kind of asked them the question. Uh, pastor sent an email out and said, hey, if we were to sit down and have coffee, what's one question you would ask? Mm. And we thought maybe we'd get a few of them to respond. Right. We have had we were wrong. overwhelming <laughs> we were wrong. A lot which is good. of questions. The cool thing, though, is many of the questions are the same. The same question asked a little differently. My favorite question was uh, from someone, uh, initials KG said, I want to go on a, uh, will you go on a date with me? Uh, that was Candy Gality. Okay, yeah. okay, that's my wife, yeah. <laughs> so make sure you respond to that question. Yeah, that was a good question. You yeah. may want to go respond ahead and follow to that up question. <laughs> that. But uh, oh, what we want to do is we want to jump right somebody in. Somebody did actually, for the record, somebody did submit a question. Uh, how did you get, uh, how did you gain so much muscle? Can, this is a true question, Dylan. You remember this? Dylan, and they did said, you ask this question? <laughs> Dylan, they said, can you give me a workout plan and nutritional plan? So that maybe we started a nutritional podcast. We need podcast. some, uh, yeah, some weightlifting <laughs> discipleship as well. as a okay. whole other track we, wow. we can, we can wow. answer uh, down the road. But what we do want to do is we want to start with uh, one of the biggest questions that we got. And it, it's really a three-part question. So it may take us a little time, which is fine. We got plenty of time. How do we get people on board with discipleship? So if you're serving at a church, or you're a layperson at a church, how do I get my pastor on board if he's not thinking about it? Or if I am the pastor and I want to get my staff on board, how do I do that? And uh, how do I get the people maybe to buy in? So a lot of pieces of this, but let's start with the big one. How do I get my pastor? You know, perhaps I'm attending a church. I have read the Great Commission. I want to do that. I've heard maybe through Replicate or, or any different ministry who is kind of focusing on this. How do I help my pastor see the need for discipleship, if it, biblical discipleship, if it's not happening in my church? Yeah, this is a multi-layered response, by the way. But this is the question we got to answer first, because to see the staff do it and to see your people engaged, the pastor has to be involved. Now, we have seen discipleship happen in the church right. where the pastor is not sold out all in, but those are very rare cases. Because what, what the deal is, is pastors have to, okay, so pastors have autobiographical ministries, Chris. And what, that, what I mean by that is, normally if it's not their idea and their thought process and their vision and their mission, in a sense, a lot of pastors say, I don't want to do it. Right. But the reality is, we didn't make up discipleship. We don't have a monopoly on this. This is right. Jesus' model. 
right? And uh, we were just at a conference this past week, discipleship.org. And uh, one of the things I said in my main session, you were there, is that we can't expect to experience the blessings of the ministry of Jesus and at the same time divorce ourselves from the method he used. Okay, here's what I mean by that. We can't expect to experience the kind of thriving, abundant ministry Jesus had and gave to the disciples if we're not going to model the same ministry he uh, mandated and and model for us. And so as an expository biblical preacher of the word, uh, so every Sunday I'm a textual biblical preacher. I take a text. I camp out in the text. As an expository biblical preacher, I believe the text is inspired, inerrant, infallible, and sufficient. Okay. Now, not only do I think, now follow me, not only do I think that the words are inspired, which they are, but I believe that the encounters are inspired. Okay. What do I mean? The fact that Jesus goes to a well in Samaria at noon when women come out normally to to get water and there just happens to be a woman there who needs to hear the gospel because she's had multiple husbands. Was that by chance or was that by some sovereign plan of God to have her there? I'm going to go with sovereignty on this. That was one. a good answer. It's early. You got it. Bingo. That's exactly right. My coffee the, has led me to say sovereignty. Okay. You're, you're up early. Okay. So uh, Nicodemus comes at night. Is that by happenstance? No. Uh, all of these are divine appointments planned by God to happen. Now, if that's the case, don't we? shouldn't we follow the model Jesus used, which I think is inspired as well? Jesus was meticulous. And we've said this before, 90% of his time was devoted to 12 Jews. Now, I read that years ago as a new pastor. I was pastor of a small church in Louisiana. I read Jesus restricted 90% of his time to 12 Jews. I asked myself the question, I'll ask those listening, how much time do you spend investing in a small group of people, whether it be your staff, whether it be a group of men, if you or a pastor, or, or if you're a ladies minister, or, or, or just a lady in church, women, how many women are you invested in? Uh, if you think about that on the scale of your weekly uh, day or, or, or week, if you're like me back then, I'm thinking one-tenth of my time is devoted to that and nine-tenths of my time is devoted to running a church, yeah. leading business meetings, handling problems, answering negative emails, yeah. counseling, marriage, funeral, and all those things are good. Yeah, All those things are good. But Jesus knew the importance of investing in a few. So I say all that to say, as pastors, we need to understand, and this is, I'm just speaking to the pastors who are kind of on the fence, that for discipleship to be a movement in your local church, you have to move your mindset from discipleship being a ministry in the church, like a ministry you add on. Like, like somebody comes and says, hey, you know, the church down the street is using faith as an evangelistic method. Okay, we'll use that. Uh, church, church around the corner is having a lot of success with evangelism. Explode. Okay, I think we'll do that. Or uh, we're doing uh, we're, we're doing some big outreach event with Fourth uh, of July firecrackers, food trucks, and it gets a lot of law. Okay, we'll try that. Yeah. Now that's great, but the problem is next year you try something else because that didn't work as well. And then next year you try something else. Yeah. This is not discipleship. Discipleship is not a ministry in the church. Chris, it has to be the ministry of your church. So the mindset for the pastor has to be disciple first mentality. How can I disciple our people in such a way where they become the greatest uh, missionaries and soldiers partnering in ministry to carry out the Great Commission? So how do you do that? Number one, if you're on staff and your pastor is not on board, number one, you need to pray. Now, it's normally not the pastor's fault that he's in this predicament. Here's why. Because let's be honest, 25 years ago, 
How many people talked about discipleship? Chris, you, you've been in church longer. I mean, you've been a Christian longer than I have. 25 years ago, how many guys did you hear say, Chris, we need to be passionate about making disciples in our church? None. None. How many people, listen, if, you're, if you're listening, how many people you heard it, pe- people say that from? None. Dylan, how many times have you heard it prior to serving with us? None. Right. The model was amazing speaking, really good worship, and event tent poles that carried attendance throughout the year. Easter. Christmas, they held it up. Everything else, <laughs> the tent poles. That's good. Yeah, everything yeah. else. Too big of it. Suspended between those things, and and as our attendance averaged higher and our decisions grew, we were succeeding in church work. Okay, that that, that brings up a great point. So we have to move pastors number one to see that making disciples is more than making converts, more than making decisions, more than making Christians more than counting baptisms, more than having events, okay? I'm all for big events. We do big events here. But the question we ask ourselves, Pastor, is what do you do after the big event's over? Yeah. Listen, you put put 1,000 people in a room for a men's conference. Praise God. 25 men accepted Christ. Praise God. Now what? (laughs) Well, it's, it's moving from that mentality of being a car salesman to being someone who's investing in someone's life to see it grow. Okay, And I, I want to make that shift myself. Or you know I mean? it's the difference between a travel agent and a tour guide. Okay, watch this. A travel agent is very different than a tour guide. Okay, we're about to go to Israel. Okay, this, uh, leaving in a, in a couple weeks. We're about to go to Israel. There's a difference between the tour guide and the travel agent. When I call the travel agent, uh, what they say is, hey, Robbie, we'll book your flights. We'll give you an itinerary. We'll tell you what to do. But when you get on the ground, guess what? Figure it out yourself. Yeah, you're on your own. <laughs> we and got you there, and then we unleash you. You ever have a problem on your trip, and you call the tour guy, the travel guy, the travel guy, and they say, uh, "No, no, I'm sorry, uh, we don't help with that." That's you're on your you're on your own. Hey, listen, uh, we got the hotel messed up. Well, that's not my problem. A tour guide is very different. The tour guide goes with you on the trip, leads the trip, shows you where to go, what to do, what to learn, how to apply it, and they walk with you every step of the way. Sadly, a lot of pastors have adopted the travel agent approach and not the tour guide mentality. They like to dictate and tell and do this and don't do this, but they never get down and walk with the people. They never get down and lead the people. They never empower the people. So I would say that that's another thing. The third thing is, Get your pastor to read along with you books as a staff in order to just converse and talk about some of these things. Whether it's uh, Bill Hall's book, The Disciple-Making Pastor, whether it's Greg Ogden's book, uh, Discipleship Essentials, or what is his... um, um, Greg Ogden's book is, is something about transform- transformational discipleship, or transforming discipleship. Uh, Christopher Adset's book, Personal Disciple Making. The, 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 I wrote Growing Up for this very reason. The first four chapters of Growing Up are a bait and switch in order to see people read Growing Up thinking that they're going to have a closer walk with God, which they will toward the end. But the first four chapters are bait and switch because you think you're learning for yourself. But I, I tell you in the book, this is not even about you. You're learning to pass on to someone behind you. So read those books. Say, Pastor, hey, look, here's a book I picked up uh, where uh, these are some guys in Nashville doing this discipleship. Can we read this as a staff? Right. You know, I don't know if you read books as a staff. You should, but we we read books uh, throughout uh, the years of staff. I would say, hey, can we read this together and just talk about it? Yeah. And then get your pastor talking. The last thing you want to do is go in and try to tell your pastor he's wrong for not making disciples. 
Let right, yeah. Let him yeah. figure. Let him figure hey, you that. You don't out. understand things, Pastor. Well, here's okay. That's well, not yeah. The way. Bill Hull and I talked about this a lot because I was really. I mean, Chris, years ago, I was burdened. I was a new pastor in Chattanooga. Yeah, I heard. I heard no one talking about disciple making. I wasn't seeing it happen in the church, and I. I had become a successive pastor of a of a fairly large church. And uh, I called Bill Hull up, uh, who was in California, and I said, Bill, you don't know me very well. This is like 10 years ago. I said, Bill, you don't know me very well, but uh, I've read all your books. I'm passionate about discipleship. I said, Bill, how do we get pastors to make disciples? <laughs> he said, well, I've been trying to do that for 20 years, 25 years. I said, oh, really? He said, yes. He said, but here's what I've realized. A lot of pastors are pragmatic, and and if they don't see it working, they're not going to be into it. He said, so what I've done is bypass the pulpit, and I've gone directly to the pew. Hmm. So I've gone to the people, so it's not a top-down approach, it's a bottom-up mentality, because when the people of God get on fire for the area in the area of disciple-making, it, it actually influences the pastor. And here's what he said, the first step a pastor has to do when he decides to make disciples when he really says, I'm going to make disciples, is pastors have to repent for leading their ministries up to that point for not making disciples. Wow. That, that's, uh, that's pretty strong. <laughs> Thanks, uh, I mean, Bill, for letting me. Thank you, Bill. Tell us how you really feel. You know? So that, that's great information on how to help get your pastor on board. Before we move into how, how we can get our, our people and our staff on board, so maybe you're the pastor leader and you're trying to bring others along to make disciples, let's just remind everyone that we are part of the Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. Yes. We have joined with some others, like-minded guys who want to and gals who want to make uh, impact in ministry together and to help with some different podcasts. And this week we want to talk about our friends at a really great podcast called Group Answers. Yes. It focuses on small groups. We love this guy. We have Greg Sur or I'm sorry, Chris Surratt. Chris Surratt. Chris is the brainchild behind this, but our our friend, our insider in this podcast really is Brian Daniel. Yeah. Brian is the Brian's man. the unsung hero. He is the unsung hero. I Chris mean, is the man, obviously. Chris is just kind of there for the ride. You no, know I don't what know I mean? about that. No. But <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Chris, Chris is, is the Chris man. is the smart Chris guy. Chris is a group's machine. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So these guys are really, uh, really, really smart. And if you need help in your groups, uh, if you need resources, if you need training, if you need encouragement as a small group leader or someone who leads small groups, I mean, this is a go-to resource. Some really great guys with years of experience who know what they're doing in both helping groups and writing and creating group curriculum. So they're constantly dealing with it. Check out Group Answers as a, as a uh, podcast that will help you out and help your folks out as well. Absolutely. So let's move into the next phase of this question. We talked about how to get our pastor on board, our key leader on board. How do we get our people on board? So let's say I'm a pastor and I'm, I've read growing up or I've read, uh, about discipleship. I've heard about discipleship. And one of the things I need to try and do is help my, so I, I go back to my church. Uh, we Here's a question we had, just, well, I won't say the name. We'll just, just, just phrase the question almost exactly. Uh, I went to the training. I went to uh, the event. I got the, the full ex explanation of how to do discipleship. I got excited. I went back and told my staff and they are not on board. Huh. They will not get on board. That never happens. <laughs> my plan happens all the time. Probably. How can I get my staff on board and together in one mind to align under a disciple making focus as a church. Okay, let me give you an example. When I was a kid, uh, my dad took us to Pontchartrain Beach. Okay, you ever heard of Pontchartrain Beach? 
I know Lake Pontchartrain. I okay. didn't know there was a beach involved. Okay. It's not I'm really a, a beach. I'm a little skeptical. Yeah, yeah. Well, Lake Pontchartrain is probably the dirtiest <laughs> lake in all of Louisiana. But they. this is how kind of ghetto it was or just uh how, but there was a there was a big beach that they created with sand and they had this amusement park kind of a a, a smaller six flags back in the day okay it actually closed in like the 80s <laughs> not okay surprised no that closed in the 80s <laughs> but surprised. when my parents were growing up this was the place oh, i mean really? oh yeah roller coasters and ferris wheels and rides and games i mean it was the place so uh, my dad would take us to Pontchartrain Beach, and uh, I never liked roller coasters growing up, which is very different than you, Chris, because you love them. Uh, I love them. I love them today. I loved them then. Yeah. Well, people say, "Why don't you like roller coasters?" You ever try to see a gorilla get into a Volkswagen? It just doesn't work for me. I mean, you know, six six. You need the two seventy trying coaster. to. Yeah, it, it ain't gonna. <laughs> but anyway, back then I didn't like them either, and uh, so my sister loved them, and so they'd go to Pontchartrain Beach every weekend. I would never ride on the rides. And finally, it's the last weekend, Dylan, Pontchartrain Beach is open. My dad's there, my uncle's there, my sister's there, and they are spending all of their time trying to convince me to ride the Raging Cajun. <laughs> oh, this is a true story. What are you laughing at? This is a true story. The Raging Cajun. And so finally, yeah. And finally. How, why did this place ever close down? I have no I, idea. I have no clue. <laughs> So finally, and here's what they said. They said, you're going to love it. You're, I said, no, I'm not. No, you don't even, you, you don't realize how much you're going to love this ride. This is going to be memorable. For the rest of your life, you're going to be able to say, you rode the Rage Occasion. <laughs> I'd love to say. That's not something I necessarily need to have to say in my life. <laughs> well, I'd love to say that that day I became a man and rode the Rage Occasion. But I chickened out and rode the Zephyr. <laughs> Wish it was a kid for it. But here's the thing about the Zephyr. The Zephyr was still a roller coaster, but it was the first roller coaster I'd ever written, ridden, okay? okay? And here's the thing. They were trying to convince me about something that's going to have an impact on my life. It's going to go fast. They're going to have sharp turns. It's going to have big drops. You're going to love it. Yeah. And I had no concept or category of how much I would like it and how it was going to impact my life. Here's why. Because I never rode on the ride. Hmm. There's a lot of pastors you're going to talk to, a lot of staff members you're going to talk to, that you're going to sit there at the entrance to the Raging Cajun trying to tell them all the benefits of the Raging Oh, man, yeah. this is going to be like, you're going to tell your friend, this is going to change your life. I'm telling you, you right. need to do that. And they're thinking, I don't like rides. Yeah. <laughs> right? And you're yeah, saying. It looks scary. Yeah, it looks scary. It looks confusing. Yeah, I don't know what to do. And here's the thing. You're going to spend all your time trying to get them on the ride. But this is the thing. The only way to get them to see the value of a roller coaster is to get them to ride it. Okay? That's good. Okay, here's what I want you to think about. When we're getting our staff members to engage in discipleship, we have to get them to actually engage in discipleship. You can window shop all you want for a dog, but until you go into the store and play with the dog and pet the puppy and bring the kids, then you understand what it's like to have a dog, okay? Right. Same thing for discipleship. And I don't mean to <laughs> compare discipleship to dog owner, right, but right. <laughs> the reality is a lot of people window shop discipleship and they never engage. So here's what I would do, just kind of close this out. I would go back to your context I would immediately select a few key guys on your team. So if you're leading a team uh, and you got a key guys or you got some key ladies, you invest in those. Okay? okay. And for the next 12 months, you just live life and do discipleship. If you're the senior pastor, I'd go back and take your leadership team, invest in them. If you're not the senior pastor, go to your senior pastor and say, hey, just left a conference, just heard a podcast, just read a book. 
man, we really, I'm really convicted about the Great Commission. The only thing Jesus authorized us to do was to make disciples. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, make disciples. But sadly, it's the thing we're not doing. Well, and one of the things that I think helps based on what you're saying right now is when we show them what can come out of this, sometimes it will take those, you know, when someone gets off of that roller coaster and walks up to you and says, man, that was awesome. It's a little bit different when you've seen them ride it. So I think the the results of the people in the discipleship groups you lead when they when they're sharing their story with the rest of the people in the church, with the other members of staff, with the pastor, that's going to speak louder than any theory that you bring to your staff. And, and I think that's going to be, as you're saying, the example they need to see to, to help get them on board with discipleship. Well, you, you hit a point, and I think it's a good place to go. The greatest people that are impacted by discipleship are the people who have gone through discipleship. People say, Robbie, you've got an amazing testimony. God saved you from drugs and alcohol, stole from your parents, lived without gas, electricity, and water for a while, and then radically saved in 2002. Who's the person who's most amazed by that? And I say it's me. Why? Because I've been the recipient of God's grace. I've seen it all. And I think in discipleship, the people who are the beneficiaries of the grace of God through disciple making are those who engage in discipleship. That's good. Well, we want to close today reminding you about our new Replicate Equipping cohort. This is something we've talked about a little bit. You've heard about it if you've been listening to the podcast, but we've been making some major decisions regarding the content of the cohort. And so what we're going to announce today is so secretive, no one has heard it yet. Can, can the I listeners keep us- heard it? No, really? No. Can the listeners keep a secret? <laughs> Hopefully I've heard it. Can Hopefully you keep I've a heard secret? It. So just, just as a, uh, a summary, some have asked, you know, what are you going to be doing in the cohort? Well, Pastor Robbie will be teaching each month for about an hour. You'll be able to to join us from wherever you're at over, over the internet, whether you're at home in your office or whether you're at work, or even listen while you're on the road, or check back later if you can't make the meeting and listen to a recorded version. Then two weeks later, we'll come together with smaller groups in a network with one of our Replicate team to walk through the implementation of these things. So what are these things we'll be talking about? So the the kind of macro level title, the overview of what we'll be studying for the first year, which I think is going to be incredible and really ties into this uh, Q&A today, yes. is creating a culture of discipleship. The ins and outs of how to build discipleship in your church uh, from every level and then how to implement those each and every week. And, and we've so- done this, Chris, just stop you there. We have seen this work in, in all three churches church context. The smaller context of 65 people, we did it there. At uh, Chattanooga Church, about 800, we did it there. Long Hollow, larger context, we did it here. And the reason it works is because we don't have a monopoly on this thing. Jesus gave us a model. And when we understand how to implement this model in the local church, we're going to see results. Just check it out at replicate.org slash cohort. Replicate.org slash Only 100 people can get in, so you got to check it out. That's right. We have to limit it based on our staff size, but we definitely want you in there so uh, check it out when you get a chance and we will see you or hear you or you'll hear us next time thank you for joining us for this episode of making disciples with robbie gallaty if you don't mind take a moment to subscribe and share the podcast you can find out more about disciple making resources related to disciple making and our customized training on our website at replicate.org